Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's a big can of worms. There isn't an easy formula to get the herd immunity for a real population. That's Dr. Christopher Murray. He's director of the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington in Seattle. I'm sure you've heard his name by now. You've certainly seen his models. The White House and just about everyone else has at one point or another used these models to try and predict the future. He's talking about herd immunity. It's an idea that if enough people become immune to an infectious disease like COVID-19, either through vaccination or through infection, then that virus is no longer likely to spread as quickly across entire populations. Herd immunity does not mean necessarily that the coronavirus gets completely eradicated or even that everyone would become immune to the virus. It's important to know that outbreaks can still occur even after herd immunity is reached. It's this idea that as the virus isn't transmitting as quickly or as efficiently, the number of people needed for herd immunity goes down. But if the virus starts to spread more quickly again, then you need a larger percentage of people immunized to reach herd immunity. It's a moving target. But scientists estimate that it's somewhere between 70 and 85 percent. So today I'm going to talk to Dr. Murray about that bumpy road to herd immunity, what exactly it means, and what stands in our way. And what role will the vaccines play to help get us there? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. The concept of herd immunity comes from a very simple modeling framework that says everybody is equally likely to interact with everybody else in a community. It's called a well-mixed population. But populations aren't well-mixed, And so that throws a wild card into those calculations because you may have a pocket of people that are susceptible. You can get transmission in that group, even though over on the other side of town, most people have been infected and so that it wouldn't transmit there. When you put all that together, you sort of reach this conclusion that the United States would not reach herd immunity prior to the winter of 2022. Is that right? Yeah. And there are three things that go into that thinking about, you know, how hard it's going to be to get to herd immunity. Two of them have to do with the variants. One of them is just the fraction of people who are likely to get vaccinated. So right now we don't have a vaccine approved for children. So in a world where we don't have to worry about the variants, you can get close to herd immunity. And so the real issue is about the variants. And that has two dimensions. One is the vaccines seem to be less effective. And two is whether past infection gives you protection against, let's say, the South African or the Brazilian variant. So when I think of the utility of the vaccine, like my parents both got vaccinated. They're in their late 70s in Florida. And, you know, it's interesting, the conversation, Dr. Murray, because they're very happy they got vaccinated because they were, you know, they were worried. They have pre-existing conditions. They're worried they would get sick and have to be hospitalized. 
they don't worry about that anymore, and which is huge, right? And as more and more people are vaccinated, the idea that we're going to have sort of this increased sense of normalcy, I could hang out with them if I've been vaccinated. I guess the question is herd immunity, why is that the metric, right? If the death rates are way down and hospitalizations are way down, if the virus is still circulating, I understand that's a problem. I'm not, and I'm not suggesting anyone should get infected by any means, but I'm just saying, is herd immunity the right thing to sort of aspire to in terms of what I think most people want? Probably not. I think the narrative about herd immunity keeps cropping up again because it would be nice if it was over. COVID-19 has gone forever. And I think that's sort of the appeal. But of course, if we can reduce death and, and suffering by 95%, then that's way more important than herd immunity. And so you're, you're absolutely right to say maybe that's the wrong thing to be focused on. And in fact, the right metric is suffering and death. And, and that's what we should be focused on. And as long as the South African Brazilian variant don't spread widely, or the mRNA vaccines can be you know, re-engineered to stay at 95%, then the prospects are good to really reduce death and suffering. And I think we underestimate how much better this winter has been because three quarters of Americans wear a mask. But are people going to change their behavior next winter? And so then you get into this question that says, yes, lots and lots of people are going to be protected. But if the South African and the Brazilian variants are widespread and most people don't wear a mask anymore, then things can be bad, not as bad as this year, but they can still be far worse than we would want to see. So latest projections say that 156 million people will be vaccinated by June 1st, but the percent of people effectively vaccinated, they say, will be somewhat lower. I think you just sort of explained this, but what do you think is really going to be the, the biggest obstacle? So on the vaccine scale-up side, I think we're still clearly in that period where supply is the constraint. Likely, we will transit into the period where it's sort of demand limited. You know, all the people who want one will have gotten one sometime early in the summer. It depends a lot on this issue around vaccine hesitancy. You know, right now, a quarter or slightly more say no or probably no to would you take the vaccine as you know the good news that the vaccines work, that should push it up. But then again, if there's less cases and deaths in your community, you may be less motivated to go out and get vaccinated. So it could go either way. We've seen in Africa with the news that the vaccines were less effective against the South African variant, we've seen the fraction willing to take the vaccine go down quite rapidly in the last week or, or 10 days. Now, hopefully it'll bounce back up. But, you know, it, people's views about vaccination matter a lot and they change pretty quickly. That becomes a really important step and that'll become the rate limiting step, let's say, June, July. I guess, you know, psychologically, we're probably all sort of geared towards making a risk-reward calculus in our head. And, you know, I got vaccinated. I don't know. Did you get vaccinated? I am only 58, so I'm still waiting. <laughs> you're, you're young, which, you know, it's a good sometimes to, to be further back in line. It means you're in good health and young. But I wasn't worried about it from a side effect, adverse effect standpoint. But I think everyone's probably always making a risk-reward calculus in their minds. And if the perceived reward goes down, I guess to your point about what happened in South Africa, then I guess it sort of follows that people may be, as a population, less likely to take it. Yes. And, you know, if we take the variants out of the picture, we, we will be sort of close 
by the fall to herd immunity or stopping a winter surge is probably a better way of thinking about it. So, you know, even a little bit up or down could make a difference. You know, in terms of what you were saying before about preventing death and suffering, it really matters because even for the new variants, these vaccines are good. You know, they're still going to give you two thirds protection as far as we can tell for the new variants, maybe more. So every person who's vaccinated is, you know, going to be a reduction in the potential death and and suffering in, in the country. Yeah, I mean, I was struck by that when I looked at the Johnson and Johnson data that they released. Um, you know, basically, you did see the reduction in effectiveness efficacy against the variants, but across the board, it was about eighty-five percent protective. There were no deaths, and there were much fewer hospitalizations. Do you look at these vaccines differently? I mean, I mean, people always ask me which one should I take, and I'm like, take the one you can get, you know. But what do you tell people? I tell people, as far as we know, Moderna and Pfizer are the same. You know, they're super effective. And so I think, you know, if you have a choice, it's a a coin toss on those two. Clearly, the next tier down is, you know, not as effective. So, you know, Novavax, Johnson & Johnson, those are a notch down. And then the vaccine that seems to be the, the least effective so far, taking all, all situations into account, is the AstraZeneca vaccine. So if you're in a setting where you don't need to worry about the new variants, then all these vaccines are good. But of course, the mRNA are, are better. If you're in a setting where there's a prospect in the near future that P1 from Brazil or, or the South African variant might be present, then, you know, the results that we know about for AstraZeneca is it doesn't work against the new variant. It was indistinguishable from a zero effect. So you probably want to avoid that one. And the one we know that works reasonably well, not as well, but recently is Johnson & Johnson against the new variant. So I think there's a tiering of these vaccines and it's a question of supply and, and getting access. Are you going to be doing this indefinitely? We started out when our own hospital system at the University of Washington, literally a year ago, said, hey, you know, now we know that COVID's in Washington. Can you help us do some planning for the hospital, a surge planning? And it just snowballed from there because we got asked by other hospital systems who heard we were doing this. And then we just put out numbers for states and then we kept going. And I think we just sort of view this as a public service that we're doing. I think we will keep at it until we think there is no value added from what we do to help people make really hard choices in these difficult times. I think at least another year is my guess, probably longer. That was Dr. Christopher Murray. He's director of the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington in Seattle. And some good news from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The FDA granted the third emergency use authorization for COVID-19 vaccine. With the FDA's authorization and following review by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices and with the endorsement by the director of the CDC, this additional vaccine will soon be distributed throughout the country by our federal partners who oversee vaccine allocation and distribution. That's Dr. Janet Woodcock, the FDA's acting commissioner, making the announcement. Now, unlike the other two vaccines with emergency use authorizations, this vaccine, made by Johnson & Johnson subsidiary, Janssen, requires only one dose, not two. And it doesn't have to be stored at freezing cold temperatures either. 
The company previously said that global phase three trials showed it was 85% effective in preventing severe disease. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.